stand and we'll do it. Have a quick reading. Read the first 16 verses. Ruth chapter 2. We'll continue our study of this small but just great book. <clears throat> Starting in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reaper answered, She is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean another in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping to go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, Let all, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you have left your father and mother and your native land and come to the people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and let and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed her young man, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Let me see. <clears throat> so as we continue uh, through this book, last week we saw how Ruth's commitment to Naomi was also her commitment to Yahweh, saw how it coincides with marriage vows, since marriage is a, in the Bible, used to illustrate a relationship with the Lord. We saw there was a call to her leaving her old life and people and God and embracing the Lord and his people. It was a commitment. Forever, so you see different ways that it pictures salvation. It is covenant language, so also coincides with the Lord's commitment to us in redemption. The Lord has committed himself to us forever as well. Uh, we saw that the Lord takes those in bitterness, we see this in Naomi in particular, and blessedness of sin, and gives them joy and fruitfulness by bringing them into a relationship of peace with him, so that they can bear eternal fruit. This is what we will see uh, as they come in contact with Boaz. 
finally we must make the Lord the focus of our lives, lest we forget to live, that to think that everything must go our way and turn out well in this life, but we have failed. And so in Naomi, we've seen that her primary purpose in life was to get Ruth to Boaz. They were central. She was not. Yet, of course, in glory, it'll all work out for her as well. And in some ways, we have to realize that we will not be the prominent ones in our uh, life on earth, but maybe our children will. Maybe somebody that we have helped. Maybe someone that we came in contact with and have influenced for a while become uh, do great things for the Lord. But that's all part of God's plan. We're going to be content with that. So we saw in Ruth's famous words, chapter 1, that the essence of conversion, what it's all about. We saw Ruth has separated herself from her former life, her former family, and former gods, and is committed to Yahweh and to Yahweh's people. And uh, while with Ruth that in the Old Testament, this mostly means physical separation. You know, it's an illustration of spiritual separation. In the Old Testament, Israel was to separate physically from the world. We know that we have been called to live in the world and to go into the world and preach the gospel. So we are to be separate, but we are still, we separate ourselves from their influence, from their ways, from their lifestyle. We don't separate ourselves physically from them necessarily. It's always good to remember that. We don't want them to have the world to have controlling interest in our decisions and influences. We also saw that this identification and commitment was permanent and entire. She identifies with the Lord in wherever and whatever and whoever uh, she must. And then in verse 7, she makes it clear, as we pointed out, this is a commitment of the death. So like our attitude towards the word of God, and thus the Lord himself, she says that this new life, this new way of living, and thinking is not open for discussion. So she brings the Lord, her relationship to the Lord in this. And she says, the Lord do unto me if I do not keep this commitment. And again, it reminds us of Jesus' words where he says, uh, no one who puts his hand to the cloud turns back is fit for the kingdom of God. Right? So uh, if we look at Naomi and Ruth's lives as instruments of God, we tried to bring out last week with Naomi and how a purpose of, of life is wrapped up in Ruth, then I think we can identify with something that John Wesley said that I think kind of brings out this thought. Uh, it's the prayer of his. I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to do your with what you will. Break me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or Laid aside for you, exalted for you, or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And you know, that's just a, a great sentiment. It's sentiment that he realizes his place before the Lord and what it means to serve him. And that it's not always going to be necessarily easy. <clears throat> now, it shows strong maturity in Christ to, to not just say that, of course, but to believe it and to live it. But Ruth has forsaken all for Naomi's God, but there's going to be a payoff. And that's, of course, great blessings. And God doesn't call us to suffer any hardship that he does not make it uh, worth our while. That, and that's 
that shows the grace of God. Because we owe it. We owe complete obedience and service to Him no matter what. Right? As our God, but as our Savior. And because He is a gracious God, we, as we pointed out before, for Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children, which basically roots each other, right? For the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive anything more in this time and in the age eternal life. So as we come to chapter 2, will show us that to cast your hope on Christ will never disappoint. While some certainly have gone off into using Christ for gain to help the wealth of the gospel, this is not what we're talking about because God's created us to find ultimate fulfillment and joy and blessing in knowing Him. It is a good and pleasant thing to be a Christian, to to have the hope of eternal life, to, to have meaning to life, to know that even the difficult times uh, are working good for us. It's just good to get up in the morning and be saved, to be converted, to know Christ, to to have hope. How you know if, if we didn't have Christ and we looked around at what's going on, of course our whole mentality would be different anyway. But I mean, some people I think actually see what's going on. And, you know, well, how did you learn to do better? The great reward in serving Christ. That's how it always should be because we're living life as it was meant to be. So as you come to chapter 2, things begin to look up. Verse 1 pretty much sums up, I think, the book. Think about it here. Where now we bring in the third and final character. Naomi has a close relative. It wasn't things that with Boaz here in these opening verses is he keeps saying he's of the clan of Elimelech. In other words, it reminds us the reason Jesus Christ is to be our Redeemer is not just because he's God. That was really necessary. But he became a man. He became a close relative to us so that he could die on the cross and bear our sins. He became uh, born under the, as, as the Bible says, born under the law. So that he could identify with us for the purchase. And so that's what we're seeing there with Boaz. Um, in fact, it seems the last verse of chapter 1 should go with this chapter. Uh, because it says that Naomi, Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter, with her, returned to the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So this sets up what we're going to see in chapter 2. This beginning of the barley harvest. And all that we read there, how it all works out. But to understand the first part of chapter two, it's good to, it's necessary to understand Leviticus 19.9. This is all, uh, all under the covenant of going on. Where God says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the greens after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyards there, neither shall you gather fallen grapes in your vineyards. You shall leave them for the poor and the faithful, and I am the Lord. In other words, don't try to get every last drop of it. Now, you know, think modern day farming, we would consider it wasteful to not clean up to the edge, and not to get every grape you could, and so forth. But, but in these conditions, because of these laws, they were purposely to clean most of it, but but don't be picky. Don't don't pinch every pity. Leave some for the unfortunate, and let them 
clean. And that's what we're seeing, of course, with uh, Ruth, what she's doing there. Just, uh, Deuteronomy adds a little bit more to it, 2419. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheep in the field, don't go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Notice these are people who have true need, who have been dealt by God in such a way that they are not able at that time to find food, in other words, in that moment. That the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So, by, it's kind of like we tithe, at least a, a same principle. We don't have to stick every penny in the bank and watch every penny. We can be generous with our money. We can give our tithes to the Lord because He's going to take care of us. And, and as we demonstrate that in our giving and in our charity, then the Lord says, I'm going to take care of you. I think there's a principle here that is good for us. You see there that you don't have to be a pity pitcher. You can, if everybody can afford, obviously some more than others in different ways, but everybody can afford to be a giving person and, and to, uh, to help me help and to help others. And, and so you see that principle there. But let me say, these ha- these handouts, as they were, are not checks in the mail. This is, this is charity as it should be. This is not welfare as we see it today. You had to work in the field. And you were still poor at the end of the day. This was people, real needs, fatherless and widows, the sojourner, the one who, you know, just come passing through the land or come to the land, did not have opportunity to work yet or, or find income. People who were in desperate need through no fault of their own. Ruth gets special help. And still, she comes home with less than a bushel. Uh, and then this is only during the, the, the harvest time anyway, so it's not like she has this every day of the year to go out and find food. It's helping people in a temporary fashion. It's helping people until they get on their feet, or perhaps it's helping someone who, because of physical reasons or whatever, will never get on their feet, and then that's okay. But it's not socialism, and I don't think the Bible teaches socialism, and I don't mean this in a, a political sense, uh, because it's not always easy to determine who should get something, right? I understand that. But it's not socialism, because socialism says that, as we're seeing today, that everybody should have the same, or that, you know, it's owed it to you in some way. It's saying, so it's not checks in the mail, people sitting at home who could work, but don't work. It was charity, but you did something for it. And there have been, although it's probably, you don't see it very often anymore, it used to be, here's your check, but you were expected to do, they, they found work for you to do. And that's, you know, it's almost seen as uh, wrong. Listen, sometimes people need help, no strings attached. And that's true charity, and we understand that. These are exceptions. All people need work. They need to work. They need a way to earn their keep so that they can have self-respect and a value to society. And that's the problem. When we give people money who 
who refuse to work, we devalue them as human beings. And we make them leeches, which we get, they lose self-value. Because they're not contributing anything to society, they're only taking from society. And we're seeing the, what happens on so many ways. You can just spend hours talking about the effects of this that really began in the 60s. I'll be born any time. Uh, and and it, it, we're, we're not doing them any good. Welfare to those who work creates entitled leeches. And again, I'm not against all forms of welfare. They're, they're legitimate needs. But by and large, what we see is not uh, legitimate at all. And so that reminds us, because we hear a lot about entitlement today, but it's always, you know, the, either you know, people who have money or white people or whatever. But it lets, and, and that, there, there sometimes there is that. That's not to say that's never the case. But we also see you can be entitled and be poor. And, and Sandra used to work at a uh, kind of a charity place where they uh, would go and they would uh, help older people who did not have any other means of help, no family to help them, and they, they could not help themselves. They would go and do chores for them and different things, sometimes just visit with them or whatever. And what was interesting, there were parameters. They didn't just do it for everybody. There, there had to be a certain age and certain uh, things had to go on. And whenever, sometimes sentence, we would say, well, you don't keep the parameters. We can't really do anything for you. Since you can always tell the ones who are on welfare because they would get very upset. How dare you not do what I want you to do? Not give me what I want. And then you can see others who were so thankful for anything they got. And that's what happens is you can become entitled. You think you deserve something. And we all deserve the opportunity to work. But uh, it's when you think you deserve more than that that uh, you have all these problems. So I, you know, I won't get, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. But these are things that, again, need to be spoken of today and reminded of what happens when they're not. But so much like a movie or a novel, the scenes here shift between Ruth and Naomi's point of view and Boaz's point of view. And in the next few verses, it sounds uh, all quite circumstantial, but we, as we've already talked about, it's telling us that this is being directed by someone who is much more adept at directing people's lives uh, or in a movie than, like, say, someone like Steven Spielberg. These people don't even have a clue. Uh, they don't know where any of this is headed, and yet they are they are uh, playing their roles perfectly because God is the one who's directing this particular script. It's an awesome God that we have who can do these things. And so, as we read, we pointed out uh, when we started this uh, study in verse three of chapter two that she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, and of course we know that none of this just happened. This is God's doing. And so in verse 2, it, we see uh, she set out and she, she gleaned and she happened to come to a part of the field along the Boaz, who was the son of Elimelech. That's verse 3, excuse me. Um, in verse 2, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. That she's not referring to Boaz. She's saying, Let me go and find a place where, where somebody will let me glean. And favor, in a sense, is a theme of this chapter. We'll bring this into the mix in a moment, but 
Ruth isn't looking for a kinsman redeemer. She's just looking for someone who's going to help her get her next meal. But she's going to receive much more than she's looking for. And what we're going to see here, of course, is that she's going to find favor in the kinsman redeemer. And the kinsman redeemer is going to find favor in Ruth's eyes as well. And so the word happen here, which the root word is half, uh, obviously is used, uh, well, I shouldn't say it's used satirically, although you, you can read it that way because we know that it didn't just happen, right? Um, the Lord is directing every player. And half basically means one's luck or one's lot, if we understand it. There's no such thing as luck, but from a human viewpoint, luck, uh, we, we tend to think of luck as you know, this, this thing that just happens. And we know that's not the case. In, in law, when you live in past law, they say, well, we'll just let the Lord, it really, technically, the Old Testament, it, we'll let the Lord decide. Because at the end of the day, we know things don't just, there are no such things as circumstances, right? The Lord directs these things. So God has mentioned very little in the book of Ruth, but the whole passage screams out that the Lord is working all this out. Much like our lives, if we have ears to hear, we we realize what is going on in our lives and realize that when these things happen, that God is letting them happen for his purposes if we keep that in mind. And so verse 4 says, And behold, Boaz came to Bethlehem. You know, but it says, I think what it's saying there is, Behold, can you believe this? Think about this. Behold, you know. Boaz, this wealthy kinsman redeemer that, that uh, Ruth doesn't even realize, comes to the field and sees Ruth. So, you know, and that, I think that's the whole point. Behold, look at this. This is something else. This is the Lord working. And it's wonderful when the Bible points out that God is working even behind the scenes. In fact, we see a, a definition of Revelation 4 1, if you remember. And after this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, speaking to me like a trumpet said, because this is Jesus, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So as John is given a a vision of church history, of how God is going to unfold his plan uh, in this age, until he comes again, I'm going to show you what must take place. Because there's, there's not, nothing's happening by accident. Everything that's happening, God has determined should happen. So I think that's just another uh, place in Scripture where we see this. If, if, so it's, it's true in Ruth's day. It's true today, right? The fact that God never changes is just one attribute of many that we need to live in continual consciousness of so that we can interpret life properly. That this is how this is who God is. God doesn't do anything haphazard. God is in control of everything in it, so we're able to live accordingly. Uh, maybe an example of this is Isaiah 50 kids. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Well, hopefully the answer is us, right? Let him then who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. What does it mean to walk in darkness? That's usually a description of the lost. Well, here, I think what he's saying here is that if you are one who fears the Lord and obeys the Lord, then when 
life is dark, when you don't have the light, when you don't understand what's going on, trust in the name of the Lord. Rely on your God. Our understanding of God must affect the way we live. Many times it isn't until we have the opportunity to look back over events that we really understand what God was doing. And sometimes we know that we're not going to ever understand this life. John Flavel well said, The providences of God are like Hebrew words. They're only understood when read backwards. So, or like the left. So, you know, it's a good illustration. And that's, we know how true that can be. So in chapter two, we are introduced to the final star of our little drama, that is Boaz. Uh, we call him Mr. Wright, right? Uh, we learn in this chapter that he's a relative, he's a man of standing, he's wealthy, he's a man of, of godly character. Uh, I think that's what it's being referred to, where it says a worthy man, not, not that he's a rich man, although he was to some degree wealthy, but worthy. He was an upright man, and we're going to see that in the way he, he deals with Ruth and so forth. He's a believer, no doubt. Um, this is also seen that he's careful to obey the laws concerning bleeding. You see how he, he's very careful here that this, that this takes place. He's a man who loves, he's tender, he's generous to those that he loves. So he's offered us a great picture, a shadow of our kingdom redeemer to come. And in verse 11, Boaz tells Ruth all that you have done for your father-in-law since death, since the death of your husband has been fully told me how you let your father, brother, David, land, came to his people you did not know. And I think that Boaz is when, when he sees Ruth and, and he starts giving her special attention. It's not just that he she has caught his eye. Uh, I would assume she uh, was, uh, you know, not all, she's probably in her twenties. She's perhaps a pretty girl and all that. But what, and, and, and no, I'm not saying that it doesn't have anything to do with her catching his eye, but. He has, he's asked the servants who she is, and she, he knows not only that, but he knows her desperate situation. And I think that's kind of what he's referring to here in verse 11. I know that you, who you are, and I think it's, it's not said here, but he knows, he, he knows who Elimelech was, obviously. He knows he's a close relative, and I think that what we will see is that Boaz is, uh, Thinking, you know, I could be her kingdom redeemer. She could be, uh, I would have a good reason to marry her. So I think all these things are going on. So what are we to make of this as a picture of our redemption with God? We'll say some of the actual teaching of re- redemption and his redeemer until next week. But there are some things here that help us identify with, with what's going on. Let's remind ourselves of the context of the book up until now. We have been shown the needy who need to be redeemed in Ruth and Naomi. Now we have been introduced to the one uh, who can redeem them. In fact, the only one. Uh, by the end of the book, we'll see he's the only one who can redeem them. Of course, Jesus is the only one. Not only is he able to uh, redeem, but he's the only one who can redeem. He only meets the Qualifications that the God man, uh, having kept the law and so forth, to be able 
to redeem us. And one in, one thing that we'll see here that is also true of Christ is not only is God able to save us, but God is willing to save us. He wants to save us. Because if you don't have the want to, it doesn't much matter. Right? And Boaz wants to redeem Ruth. Uh, but there's a closer one, as we're going to see, of someone who's a close relative, and we're going to find out that he doesn't want to redeem her. So that makes Boaz the only true kinsman redeemer. We've also shown the, the needy who need to be redeemed in Ruth and Naomi. Um, so Boaz here. What the, the final thing that I want you to see about Boaz is that his name means in him is strength. So let me uh, ask a question, a trivia question. This is a tough topic. And if anyone in y'all can answer this, I'm looking at question. What were the names of the two pillars that stood outside the door of the temple? No, no using your phones or anything. They, there were two uh, big pillars that stood outside of Solomon's temple, and they were given names. Well, one of them was Boaz, and one of them was Jacob. And Boaz means in him is strength. Jacob means he will establish. Well, what goes on in the temple? Well, that's the place of the home, really. That's the, the whole point of the temple was Blood sacrifice, making its home, but appeasing the wrath of God, forgiveness of sin, right? So, so why were these two pillars named that? Well, think about it. In him is strength, in God alone is strength, the ability, and he will establish us. He'll do it. So it kind of, you know, uh, let, lets you kind of know in a nutshell that the atonement is all about something that God alone will do. The book of Ruth is all about one who uh, has the ability and the and will of, of redeem Ruth. Remember that Ruth has not been redeemed yet, even though her soon-to-be husband is providentially taking care of her. So again, if there's something else here to see in our own condition before we're saved. At this point, all we have in Ruth is a Moabite sinner being allowed to sustain herself on land owned by another. Well, if you're born to the world, what are you? Well, you're just a condemned sinner who breathes the air that God gives you and eats the food that God gives you. Right? All men are sustained by permission from God. It, it's That's why one of the, Romans 1 says one of the marks of the lost person is they're not thankful. They, they do not acknowledge the God in their, in their life. So like Ruth, our relationship with God is one entirely by law. She's able to glean, according to the law that she lived under, uh, there in Bethlehem, she was being sustained in the relationship with Boaz, which is purely legal in a sense, in, in that she was being sustained because that was what the law told uh, Boaz he had to do. Our hope that we have in life at this point is poverty is poverty, spiritually speaking, is I live in this world, I'm a born, a condemned sinner, and unless God changes something, I'm going to live and I'm going to die a condemned sinner. And that's where Ruth is now, but of course Boaz is going to do something about it. Unknown to us, 
One in whom is strength has set his love upon us and cares for us and is bringing us into a permanent relationship with himself. So if you are the elect, even though you might not know it at the time, God is moving you to the point of conversion where he's going to bring you into his kingdom. And then we're seeing all this worked out in Luke. She's not seeking him. She's just trying to exist. But God is bringing courage and contact with her Savior. And there were other women out there as we read, but he sets his love on Ruth. He takes care of her. He protects her from harm because he, he, I think he has a plan for her. Nothing we know can harm us until God, uh, until it's God's will that something harm us. And even then, if we are uh, in Christ, ultimately nothing can really harm us because at the end of the day, we're going to end up in glory anyway. So all people live under the provision of God, but not all have been marked out for marriage. Many are called, but few are chosen. So in verse 5, before we knew him, we he has set his love upon us. And we kind of see, I think, a picture of that where Boaz says to Gomez, who is this woman? She's caught his eye. And it says, now again, we don't read that in an Arminian text. God doesn't look at some humans who are worthy to be saved, he shows mercy and grace to all of his people. None of us deserve it. Jeremiah 31 3, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you in everlasting life. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. So, uh, Israel is uh, being dealt mercy by God because of uh, everlasting love, of the love that was set upon them from eternity. Of course, Hebrew, or Ephesians 1 spells this out uh, real clearly, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ through his work, the only way God can bless us, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Some people say, well, God chose the plan of salvation. God chose to save people. The Greek doesn't let you do that. He chose us. He chose people. Not a plan. Not, not a, a neuter, but us. That we should be holy and blameless before him. That's what he chose to do. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons of Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the prayer. Why? Why did ultimately he save us? So that we would be to the praise of the glory of grace which he has blessed us in the capital B beloved in Jesus Christ. If you're not in Jesus Christ, you're you're you've got no blessing. And you can be a Jew, but if you're not in Jesus Christ, you've got no blessing. That's how it all works. We're all condemned. So what we see in the rest of the book is that he what he does to secure her. And it's not her securing his affections. That's already happened. Now, if we'll see in chapter 3, under Naomi's guidance, Ruth does ask Boaz to be her kinsman redeemer. But again, and then you've got to be careful about pressing type too far, but we've already seen God has taken the initiative, and at some point he makes us willing, right? Psalm 110. In the day of your power, we become willing. You know, so he brings us to a point where we do trust in Jesus Christ. We do ask him to be our Savior. 
but we know it's God who works in us to that end. But right now he's revealing his glory to her so that she eventually will be willing to give herself to him. Um, what does he tell her? In, in this chapter it says, Stay in my field, obey only my servants, and you will find protection. And what's her attitude about this? Well, we see it in verse 10. Why have I found favor in your sight that you would uh, do this for a foreigner? She knows who she is. She's a, she's a Moabite. She's a pagan. But she, she understands this is grace. And there's, there's no reason for him to do this. Um, verse uh, 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So you see why this chapter, in a sense, the theme is finding favor. I don't deserve this love. You treated me as a servant when I am less than a servant. She understands how unworthy she is, and that no, no one has truly been saved who has not come to that point of understanding. You are unworthy of your, your God's wrath upon you is just. And so Boaz goes beyond the letter of the law and providing for her. She's allowed to glean uh, from Boaz's harvest. She's allowed to not just pick up the leftovers, but to glean from the actual sheaves that have been harvested. See this in verses 15 and 16. It's not just what dropped on the ground. She's given roasted barley. And I hope that in a sense, we, as God's people, we, that's how we see the church services. If we're going beyond just speaking about what any lost person can understand, we don't just end up here and preach, you know, behave yourself, be good. We don't just preach, you know, morality as important as that can be and should be. But we're going beyond that. We're, we're not just nibbling on the facts of Scripture, but we are feasting on the Christ of Scripture. Our simple trust and obedience is all that is needed to be blessed. And we see uh, all this good things. Let me close by uh, a a quaint old saying, but it sums up some of this. Look at self and be distressed. Look at others and be depressed. Look at Jesus and be blessed. Any questions or comments? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love to us this day, and we pray that you might bless us through your word. Pray that we would. Ears to hear, eyes to see, and forgive us when we grow dull or sensitive to the word and to the spirit and our lives.